well. And I hope you took seriously some of the stuff that we talked about in that first session on lessons on leadership that we can learn from the life of Moses, the call of Moses. So many important lessons found in the book of Exodus and elsewhere, but I asked you if you would just read from Exodus 3 right through to chapter 9 and then ongoingly down through the days, look at all the other chapters uh, in that book of Exodus. I've shared 10 uh, lessons with you in that first session. I'm going to add another two today. I'll just run quickly through the, the just the, what I call the, the kind of the subheadings of each of those lessons. First of all, that God prepares his people, his leaders, us, in the most unexpected places and in the, and, and the most unexpected ways. And uh, wherever we are, whatever we find ourselves in, God is preparing us for the next phase and phases of our ministry. Every, every act of preparation, equipping, is that we may be more fruitful, more effective, count for God more and more. I remember for me personally, um, God took me to Bible college for two years, then took me up to Zimbabwe for a year, put me in a small little church that had really come, uh, come adrift, uh, failed, in a little isolated place outside of Johannesburg, two years there and then four years in another church. And, and all of these were equipping, where God was equipping me in readiness for a bigger ministry, a more effective ministry, something that lasts and, is, and uh, reaches further afield than I could ever have dreamed. And I've really honestly seen that, uh, been amazed at how God has been so, so gracious to Anne and I, to my family, and to those of us who walk together over all those years. Um, so don't let, let any of the little things that God brings your way, allows to come your way, teaches you, don't, don't uh, miss what God is trying to do in all of that. And so that brings us to the second point, and that is if that is God, is, God is continually trying to catch our attention and uh, that we must not be too absorbed in what we're doing, uh, that we miss what God's called us to do. We see that with the life of Moses looking after the sheep and then the burning bush and God speaking to him. Which brings us to the third little thing I said, and that is that God uh, wants to make sure we keep our eyes fixed on him, that we're looking to him and him alone. And uh, you'll see that in Exodus 7 verse 1, and I mentioned that it comes out so much stronger in the Message Bible when God says to Moses, look at me. Uh, other translations say, see, I have, but we've got to look to God and make sure we keep our eyes fixed on him and nothing else. And then I said lesson number four was that he wants us to remember that his call is a high and holy call. And we're not to take it lightly. If you look at Exodus 3 verses 5 and 6 and elsewhere, you'll see that uh, it really is a high and holy call. Take off your sandals. Uh, this is holy ground and that's what it is. Day by day through our lives, the call of God is holy ground for us. It is such an honor. Number five, a little lesson that I see come out of the book of Exodus is that his call and his call has purpose and or purposes that he wants to fulfill in and through our lives. And you see that in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through to 10. And I mentioned that some of those, and I want to just highlight one or two things here and add to a bit. That some of those purposes include some things like freedom. God wants us, his people, to be set free. Uh, Exodus 3, 7 to 10 tells us 
Let my people go that they may worship me. That everything we do is to bring people into a deeper relationship of worship and praise and love for God, commitment to Him. And that is mentioned six times in the book of Exodus, at least six times repeated. And that uh, I mentioned in that last session that the two types of freedom, there's the freedom that basically uh, offers us so much and gives us so little. It's uh, what I call false freedom, uh, freedom to do what you like. And so many people feel like God's done so much for them now, they're free to do what they like, and they just end up messing up their lives. But there's another freedom, true freedom, and that freedom is the freedom to do what we should do. You see, maturity brings us into a big, deeper level of, of, of freedom. And true freedom brings us into a deeper level of maturity. It's like we just go higher and higher as we mature. And so the more you mature, the greater you experience His true freedom. Maturity understands that freedom is a tool to be used, not a toy to be played with. Are you, how is it with you, freedom? Is it a toy to be played with? Or is it a tool that God's using to build up others and to see his kingdom come and to make us more effective? If you would spend some time this morning, I was going to do it, but time doesn't allow it, to read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 and 24 in the Message Bible, it really shows you something about what I'm trying to convey to you. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 and 24. And then also, part of God's purpose is also for us to inherit, live in, and enjoy all that God has for us in that journey and on the, on the way and in, into the promised land, uh, what, however you see that theologically. Some of that, some of those wonderful things that we inherit is the promise that God has given us and the command that Jesus gave us that all nations should be blessed through us and we're to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Discipling of nations is part of that wonderful inheritance that God wants us to live in. Uh, not to go into occasionally. It needs to be something that grips our heart. I'm here to see nations blessed. I, for me personally, I cannot believe how much, well, it's hard to believe how much God has helped me to see some of that fulfilled. Not only did he bless me when I was in a church in South Africa? He blessed churches around South Africa, used us by his immense grace. I don't know how, how I can explain that. It's just beyond my comprehension. Just his supernatural grace and mercy poured out on our lives. And he wants to do the same for you. And we've seen churches planted all over the world, leaders raised up and sent out all over the world. Uh, I cannot, I don't know how to thank God enough or express how great it's been to see God do far above all we could ever imagine or think. And he wants to do the same for you. So don't limit God to just a few little things. Let the discipling of nations and grab your heart. Keep it there. The fire burning that my house should be a house of prayer for all nations, all nations to be blessed through him. And then also... Yeah, Part of that inheritance is his presence and his power, his promises, his provision and protection and his peace 
And so we could go on. All of this is what God has made available to all of us if we would just understand how much He cares for us and what He has for us. In other words, make sure that you keep the focus of the fact that God has us in ministry because He has purposes and His protection, etc. And then He wants us to be totally different, um, which I shared with you the other day, as you see in Exodus chapter 8, verse 23, etc. He'll make a distinction between us or the people in the land of Goshen and Egypt. And then the fourth little major purpose to me is that uh, he wants us to see the kingdom of God emerging more and more in us, through us, and amongst us in our togetherness. The devil is always trying to get God's people to, to uh, sidetrack into causes. I think I may have mentioned that last time, but I want to just touch on two or three of those causes, or four maybe, uh, God's purpose is always kingdom, and that means Christ has to be king. And we can so often get sidetracked into things which are good and even have some biblical kind of justification, but when we separate them from Christ being king and the focus being seeing Christ king, when we make other things, the thing that we're going after, hard after, fighting for, fighting against, whatever it may be, a few of those may be like protests and political confusion. I see so many of God's people across the world getting caught up in the political uh, agendas uh, of different political parties, um, confusing uh, God's kingdom with the political agendas that people are propagating. Protests, political confusion, also leftist and rightist ideologies, uh, philosophies, and even religions, socialism, the social order, cultural wars. People getting caught up in all of these things. And while every one of them may have some justification, the moment we remove them from Christ being king. This is why I'm doing this. This is part of the gospel. This is part of seeing Christ come. This is part of seeing people redeemed. This is part of seeing people living for Christ all out. The moment you leave Christ out of it as the central factor and the king, you've been sidetracked. Um, capitalism. Around the world, capitalism and Christianity are being blended into one. Instead of seeing that... Christ's kingdom is not capitalism. It's not any of these other things. Some of them can be closer to what the kingdom of God is, but they're not the kingdom. And so if you, if you get a chance, if you would read Romans chapter 9 from verse 30 verse to, to verse 32 in the Message Bible once again, just because it brings it out so simply and clearly, it kind of sums it all up. And so don't attempt to make any truth, anything you're fighting for, the central factor, always keep Christ the king. And then, the, uh, all, in all of these, these lessons that we can learn, we've got to understand that these are all by Christ's, God's power. We as Christians live in resurrection power. Paul said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, 
So we've got to understand we live in resurrection power. Maybe you could just read Romans chapter 9, verses 12 through to 18 in the Message Bible again, just simply because it brings out so clearly what I'm trying to say. But power, the power of the Holy Spirit, power that overcomes and defeats Satan. Christ made a public spectacle of the devil, triumphing over him by the cross. And for this cause was the Son of God manifest, that he might destroy the works of the evil one. We are living in victory. And, and we need to understand that it's only by God's power. When the moment we think we've overcome and now we can do it, we're in trouble. And unfortunately, even with some of the strategies God imparts to us, we can sometimes think that the strategy is what works. Uh, I'll come to that in about, hopefully, a minute or two. Um, God could have done all the things he did in bringing the children of Israel out of, out of Egypt and right through the wilderness wanderings. He could have done all of those things without the help of, uh, of his people, of Moses, Aaron, etc., etc. But he chooses to use us. He wants us to be in partnership with him. Now, here's a, such a, an important thing to, to re remember. You can't help noticing that's God's power when you're reading through the life of, of Moses in the book of Exodus. The power was not released through a formula or a ritual or something that needed to be novel or new. God said, what have you got in your hand? Moses said, I've got a, a, a staff, a rod, a stick. You've got to use what God gives, has given you. It may look like not much, but use it. As you look through here, you'll see, I've, I've just highlighted a few of these verses, how God said, take that rod. And then he said, there's a few things I want you to do with that rod. On one occasion, he said, or on a, on a couple of occasions, he said, throw it down, throw. And I, that was in Exodus 7, in Exodus, uh, verses 9 and 10. In Exodus 7, verse 17, he said, strike, not throw, strike. Another, in verse 19, he says, stretch out your hand with the staff. Verse, chapter 8, verse 5, he says, stretch out your hand with the staff. Again, he says that in, in, in chapter 8, verse 16 and 17. But he says there, strike, stretch and strike. In chapter 9, verse, verses 1 through to 7, he says, say, speak. In chapter 9, verses 8 to 12, he says, toss it into the air, throw it up. Nine, chapter 9, verses 13 to 26, say, and then stretch out your hand. In chapter 10, from verse 1 onward, he said, spoke, speak. In chapter 14, verses 15 through to 21, he says, hold your staff high, stretch out your hand. And so it goes on. Now, I'm trying to show that there isn't a formula. You don't get, well, this is work once, so we're going to do it over and over and over. God has it. God's a God of creativity, and he wants us to live in that creativity. And then there's another thing you can't help noticing here, that there wasn't any power in the actual staff. There wasn't even any power in the movement. The power was in God. All God wanted was obedience. Do what I say. I say speak, speak. I say strike, strike. I say hold your hand, hold your hand. I hope you get that. There's no formulas. And all of these things... God's power being revealed were for God's glory, not to bring glory to Moses, not to bring glory to Aaron or anyone else. And we've got to be so careful when God's power starts to work in and through our lives. 
that makes us effective and fruitful, we don't try to take the glory. It's all for God's glory. So read Exodus chapter 14, verse 3 to 14, verses 3 and 4, and then Exodus 11, verse 9. Again, I'm just asking you most of these scriptures, if you just read them in the Message Bible as well as whatever you, the Bible is that you like, the translation. All right, so God's power is released when He is present, like in the, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, protected, advanced, whatever. It's God's power. And He... And his power brings his, his presence brings his power. And remember, he promised us, my, my presence will go with you. I mean, Jesus' name is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus said, I will be with you even unto the end of the age. So only the Holy Spirit. Listen to me now, please, because we as leaders, this is what part of our, our, our call, our mandate. Only the Holy Spirit can equip. Only the Holy Spirit can enlist people into service. Only the Holy Spirit can enhance and enrich and edify, emancipate from sin and bring freedom. Only He can empower. It's the Holy Spirit who makes us fruitful with fruit that lasts. And that's so important to me. Then the next little lesson that I, I, I try to share was that God knows all the excuses we have. There's nothing going to be a surprise to him. There's nothing that you can come up with that, that God doesn't know about. And uh, I'm just going to share these with you quickly and then we'll close off and I'll pick up again and carry on with some of those other lessons that I believe we need to learn. I just want to keep these messages as short as I can so you can concentrate, get before God, get on your knees and let God help you to live out some of these things if you've lost them or forgotten them or never knew them. All right, so some of those, insecure, those uh, excuses, insecurities, fears, whatever they may be, the first of them are those five, uh, five um, excuses that Moses used, which most of us have used at some time or the other, or will into the future, is, I can't do this. Why me? I'm inadequate. You'll see that in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. And God's answer is, I'll be with you. The promise of his abiding presence. And that promise is all that he calls us into in leadership. He will help us to do. God uses nobodies. Do you understand that? God uses nobody. If you, you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20. Not many of us were noble, etc., etc. When God called us. But God uses the foolish, the weak that he may get all the glory, that no flesh may boast in his presence. It's God uses nobody, then he alone receives all the glory. Now read that scripture for yourself in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Don't skim over it. Don't take shortcuts. Read it. I'm asking you in Jesus' name. Second little excuses, I won't be listened to. I won't be taken seriously. People won't follow me. I don't know enough. And that's a lack of confidence, a lack of authority. You'll see that in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, Exodus chapter 6, verse 12 to 14, and verses 29 and 31. And once again, God's answer is, I am who I am, I'll be with you. See, that word, God, I am who I am, means that I will be everything you ever need me to be, because I am that. There's not a thing you ever need. You'll never find yourself in a situation that I'm not going to be in it with you. 
And I'm more than sufficient to bring you through, to bring, make you fruitful and to keep you victorious and even free without harm. So God can be as all we'll ever need him to be. So don't allow your insuff uh, insufficient knowledge of the word of God, of God himself, his will, his word, his ways, his wonders. Don't let any of that stop you from responding to his call. Remember this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, it says, God has made us, God has made us competent ministers of the gospel, of the new covenant. So immerse yourself in the word of God, in his promises. Trust God, the Holy Spirit, to equip you. Third little excuse quickly, our time's running out, is they won't believe or trust me. The Message Bible and Exodus chapter 4 Verse 1, it, it, it really brings it out and shows you that it, wasn't, it was unbelief. And that Moses, uh, really, it wasn't so much the people who won't believe, it's that Moses himself didn't believe. And God says in chapter 4, verse through to, uh, chapter two, chapter four verses 2 to 9, use what you have and expect miracles. So don't limit your future to what you have or what you can do, but to his limitless power and ability. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask, think, dream, hope for, whatever else, as Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 tells us. Next little excuse was, I can't speak well, pride and fear. Uh, I remember my own call, especially I remember, well, all the way through, but this one, highlight this one when I was called to Bryanston and I saw what these men and women, uh, their education, their social status compared to mine, I just said to God, I remember saying, God, I can't do this. I can't speak. Uh, and God said to me, I will be with you and I'll make you a blessing. I'll make you a blessing to these people in Bryanston. I'll make you a blessing to the wider city. I'll make you a blessing not only to the city, but to the state or the province. And I'll make you a blessing to the nation and to other nations across the earth. I couldn't see how God could do it, but he does do what he promises. So don't let the fact you can't speak well ever be a hindrance. God will never require from you what he doesn't himself enable you and, and empower you to do. You know, in actual fact, Moses could speak. If you start to start, read through the book of Deuteronomy, you see how well he could speak. But he used it as an excuse. And then the, the fifth little excuse was use someone else. In Exodus chapter 4, verses 13 to 17, trying to just avoid it. Use someone else. Basically, God was saying, that he could have been all that Moses needed if Moses would only trust him. But he wanted Aaron, he wanted someone else to do it, so God gave him his choice. And while it brought blessing, it also brought unnecessary blight, problems, things he had to deal with that drained on his energy. All right, he should have been like Moses, like Isaiah who said, Here am I, Lord, send me. I'm sorry that our time has run out. I was hoping to get further than that, but God bless you. And Father, I ask your blessing upon your children again and that all of the truth will be worked into each and every one of us and we will make you king and that you, we will give you every opportunity to work through us everything you have a purpose for our lives. In Jesus' name, and we give you praise. Amen.